Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until noon today. We've got a uh, packed show for you. So hope you uh, tune in and... Uh, what was I going to say? I had something witty to say, and it just left my head. That's usually how it goes on a Sunday morning. Uh, Brenda, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Well, uh, the coffee is brewing. Uh, as you said, we've got a packed show. We are ready to go. And uh, I do want to run down the lineup, Joe, in case people want to call in early. Uh, we have Representative Brian Higgins, uh, who will join us momentarily. And then at uh, 1030, just after the uh, 1030 news with Alan Harris, Dr. Nancy Nielsen, uh, will join us, and she is both an MD and a PhD and is really uh, very knowledgeable about what's going on with COVID-19 and variants and all of those things. And then in the 11 o'clock hour, Joe, well, we're going to go back to school with Superintendent Mark Laurie from the Niagara Falls uh, District. And at 11.35, uh, we'll have Council Members Wyatt and Wingo join us. Plenty to talk about with the school zone cameras and other issues in the city. So a uh, busy show, coffee up, let's go. All right, and as we await, uh, Congressman Brian Higgins should be calling any second now. Uh, We will be talking about the border, talking about, I want to get into vaccines as well, and, you know, COVID restrictions and the easing of those restrictions we see around the country. Also, uh, Brenda, I don't know if you saw earlier this week the discussion between Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, I'd like to also ask the congressman his thoughts on that. Yes, I did see that. Uh, pretty contentious. I don't think they're going to be uh, having a cocktail anytime soon together. So uh, uh, two doctors <laughs> going at it. I don't know if most people know that uh, Rand Paul is an ophthalmologist. He's an eye doctor. Yes. Uh, and has really been um, contesting, I guess you might say, Joe, what Dr. Fauci has said many times over the past year or so. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the congressman has any comment on that. And I'm also curious to see how that plays out with Paul and Fauci, because neither one of these guys are shrink, shrinking violets, and I think that uh, we'll hear from both of them as uh, as the year goes on. I agree. Who we're going to hear from right now is Congressman Brian Higgins. Congressman Higgins, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, now, it has been one year since the northern border has been shut down, and you are pu- pushing for at least a partial reopening. Explain that to us. Well, uh, last year, the United States had more COVID-19 deaths uh, than any country in the world. Uh, Today, we are the leader in vaccine manufacturing, distribution, and administration. Uh, For an entire year, the border has been closed. We've been told that 
uh, unless and until we have a vaccine, uh, that the border would remain closed. We now have a vaccine. We now have wide distribution. Over 120 million doses have been administered in the United States. And Canada needs to catch up in terms of their uh, vaccine distribution and administration. And I think once we get to a level of parity, which I think we can, uh, we should be able to expand uh, the category of essential traveler to reunite loved ones, to allow people that have property in Canada and Canadians that have property in the United States to visit those properties, enjoy them, and continue to demonstrate uh, responsible activity as it relates to face masks, social distancing, and vaccination. Uh, I see no reason why we can't see a partial opening by Memorial Day and a full opening by the 4th of July. Congressman, I know in 2020 you advocated uh, the Trump for the uh, Trump administration to work on more of what you called a nuanced approach to reopening the border, but no changes were made at that time. Why do you think this may be different now with uh, President Biden? Well, truthfully, uh, the U.S.-Canadian relationship took a major hit over the last four years, and in particular over the last 12 months. There was just no engagement. I know this firsthand. I was dealing with the Canadian ambassador to the United States, and there was no U.S. and Canadian federal government uh, uh, dialogue or discussion about the issue of the border. So you close the border, and every month you uh, reevaluate, and then the border remained closed. But I will tell you, in the intervening month, there was no engagement. Now you have a different situation. On day two of the Biden presidency, uh, the president had issued a, an executive order uh, to have his cabinet secretaries develop a plan as it relates to the U.S.-Canadian border to open it. And that plan was supposed to be developed within 14 days. We don't have it yet, and that's what I've been pushing for and will continue to push for. Uh, and the president has said very clearly that uh, by early summer, uh, Americans should be able to get back to a sense of normalcy. Well, when you live on a Canadian border, you live in western New York, that includes opening the U.S.-Canadian border. So I just think that, uh, that, that, that people of goodwill uh, can use the substantial uh, leverage that they have to get the resources that are needed to successfully and safely open the U.S.-Canadian border. Uh, the United States is the largest contributor, about $500 million a year to the World Health Organization. This is what the World Health Organization does. They manage, in times of public health crises, uh, a, a way to, to mitigate the, the, the damage of that. So I just want the president to use his leverage uh, with the World Health Organization, along with the Canadian Prime Minister, to develop a plan with new resources that we did not have, as you know, for most of, of for all of last year. Uh, we now have vaccines. Not only do we have uh, uh, one vaccine, we've got three. Uh, a fourth is pending approval with the uh, Food and Drug Administration, and there will probably be a fifth and a sixth uh, within the next 30 days. I think that's ample supply to meet the demand in both the United States and Canada so that we can safely uh, open the border. But, you know, the bottom line here is I, I think that Americans and Canadians, for the most part, have uh, been very disciplined in following the recommendations of public health officials in the respective countries. 
And, you know, we still have to wear a mask. We still have to uh, socially distance. Uh, but now we have this new tool, which, you know, has been identified throughout the past year as that inflection point, that game-changing moment. And we now have, you know, three vaccines that are being widely distributed, ma- manufactured, distributed, and administered. This uh, U.S.-Canada border shutdown has really picked up traction. Uh, as a matter of fact, I saw you on the national news yesterday on the CBS uh, Evening News at 6.30 uh, that was anchored by former Channel 4 uh, reporter Jerika uh, Duncan, ironically. And they interviewed a gentleman in uh, the Northwest who I think was in Idaho talking about the impact on his business. Have you had any discussions with your counterparts uh, in the Western U.S. to see if you can collaborate together to put even more pressure on, uh, on this opening happening? Yeah, we're, we're doing just that. We had the Northern Border Caucus, which is made up of both Republicans and Democrats. I co-chair that along with Elise uh, Stefanik. And uh, we have been speaking with one voice as it relates to opening the border. You know, think about it. We in Western New York uh, are profoundly impacted in terms of our economy and our life quality uh, because of our close proximity to Ontario. The province of Ontario represents about 40% of the entire population of the country of Canada. So we are disproportionately impacted. So from Toronto down to Fort Erie, uh, you know, as, I, as we've said previously, people from Western New York, you know, the great tradition was that they would vacation over on the Canadian shores uh, of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario uh, for summers. Many of those people, be they living, whether they own property in Crescent Beach or Bay Beach or Crystal Beach, Thunder Bay, Long Beach, a lot of people own property. Uh, in Western New York, in, in Ontario. And, and the same is true for uh, Canadians owning property in places like Ellicottville in, in, in Buffalo and Western New York. So, uh, again, our, our economies and our life qualities are, are highly, highly interdependent. And, uh, and you know, nobody is suggesting that you open that border in, in, in an irresponsible way. It has to be responsible. It has to be thoughtful. It has to be successful. Uh, and it has to be safe. And, but I think that can be accomplished. And like much of this pandemic, a lot of, uh, a, a, a lot of uh, uh, you know, the, the issue of keeping yourself and your family and your neighbors safe is about what you are prepared to do uh, in order to accomplish just that. And again, I think that Western New Yorkers, uh, Americans, uh, and Canadians have shown great discipline and 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 following the recommendations of public health officials uh, one last question about canada for me at least and this doesn't have much to do with the border but let's look down the road once the borders reopen once we're back to to normal has the biden administration talked with justin trudeau and tried to mend fences because i understand the canadian government wasn't too happy about the keystone pipeline is there going to be some kind of compromise there between america and canada yeah, the first uh, the first world leader that uh, President Biden had reached out to was Justin Trudeau, and I think that underscores the difficulty of that relationship over the past four years. And you know, the Keystone Pipeline and these issues will always come up, uh, and they'll be resolved in a diplomatic way. So uh, the the President of the United States, uh, President Biden, and Prime Minister Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, have now talked. 
face to face or remotely uh, uh, at least four times. All right. Now, Congressman, I want to talk uh, about vaccines. So as the president said, by May, we will have enough vaccines for all Americans. That doesn't mean all Americans will have it by May, uh, but that we will be quickly getting those shots in arms. Now, he said July 4th, we could have somewhat normal, but he still said small groups. So according to the White House or, or what you're hearing, when does the, the president, when does the, the White House believe that we can get back to large groups, back to normal? When will we have that 75, 85 percent of Americans vaccinated? Well, right now it's about 24 percent of Americans have been vaccinated with one dose. So it's, uh, it's uh, 121 million people. Uh, it is more than a third of the U.S. population. Uh, the goal was to get 100 uh, vaccinations uh, into people's arms uh, in the first uh, 100 days. Uh, he's exceeded that thus far. And you know, the, the, one of the more important figures in this is that 68% of the American population that's 65 or older right now has at least one dose and that's a very very good sign because it because as you know older people are, are predisposed to uh the most devastating effects uh, effects of COVID 19 uh because of we're older uh, and 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 the issue of pre-existing uh, medical conditions that make uh people more susceptible to any disease including and especially uh this one uh canada uh, has uh, about 3.8 million doses out. Uh, so I think, you know, this effort has to continue. But the good thing is production is increasing and there are collaborations uh, between drug makers that never would have existed before but for uh, the fact that we're in this uh, this public health crisis. And I'll tell you the other thing, and I, too, I've been on your show last year and I was very skeptical about the ability to produce uh, vaccines in this short period of time. That is miraculous. I mean, typically drug development, uh, drug development, vaccine development is a process through, you know, clinical trials uh, to test efficacy and, and, and safety. It's typically a, a, a five to 10 year process. The fact that they were able to develop a vaccine, let alone three of them, with very, very high efficacy rates uh, is, is a miraculous achievement. Uh, so I think, you know, there's, there's hope. And, and look, you know, all of us, we want to be optimistic about, you know, some clearing, some opening uh, in the immediate future. And I think it's good that leaders are talking about a 4th of July uh, opening or a returning to a semblance uh, of normalcy because it, 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 it's always easier to get people to comply with what it is they have to do if they can see that, you know, uh, their efforts will produce uh, a result in the near term. And I think that, that too, is an incentive. And I think it's a responsible thing to do. Look, every, a lot of things have to go right. Uh, but uh, but uh, there, there is certainly hope to return uh, the U.S. economy uh, to uh, to uh, a, a better place. And, and speaking of that, you know, Brenda and I, before the show, were talking about the Rand Paul, Dr. Fauci back and forth. I'm sure you saw the video uh, earlier this week. And there is a lot of hesitancy in America. I've talked to people who are hesitant of the vaccine, but they say they'll get the vaccine 
because it allows them to get back to normal. It allows them to regain their freedoms. Do you think we can, that the message from Dr. Fauci needs to change by telling people who have gotten the vaccine that they still have to mask up, they still have to social distance? Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are like me. I'm going to get the vaccine because I'm selfish. I want to get back to normal life. Do you think we? Do you think having the the lack of optimism from Dr. Fauci, especially in that back and forth with Rand Paul, is going to have some people throw up their hands and say, "Then why am I getting this vaccine?" Well, I think that it's incumbent upon public health officials and elected officials to speak clearly and factually about the importance of vaccines. Why do you Why do you get vaccinated? It is intended to trigger an immune response in in in, in the human body. And if, if you have a vaccine, uh, this virus can do you no harm. You have 37 and a half trillion cells in your body. If a if a a virus can penetrate a cell, it can't hurt you. So what the vaccine is intended to do is to neutralize, to reduce, or to kill altogether a, 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 a virus. So it gives the body, the immune system, the upper hand over the disease. Prior to vaccines, uh, the virus had the upper hand because there was virtually no uh, immune response. So if you want to protect yourself, if you want to protect your family, you should probably have a vaccine. That said, there are certain people uh, and certain groups of people that are skeptical when it comes to vaccines. Uh, an honest debate about that, I think, is good. And I think people will uh, follow the lead uh, of the experts by and large. But, you know, to be truthful, Dr. Fauci hasn't been 100 percent right within the context of this pandemic. There was his own questioning of the efficacy of, of wearing face masks. And over time, it was determined that face masks are and substantially helpful in stopping the spread of a highly contagious infectious disease. So, you know, these debates sometimes are, are frustrating, sometimes cause confusion. Uh, but once you get to, you know, good science, good facts, that should be disseminated uh, widely uh, so that people can just make a smart decision uh, about their lives. Nobody is mandating that anybody get a vaccine. And that's a choice that people have. But they also need to understand the consequences to themselves, but also uh, to, their, to their own families and, and to the larger society of, of not getting a vaccine. So uh, these are political debates. And, you know, you get these hearings in Congress. They're going to turn political. They always do uh, in every way and on every day. Uh, but, but the reality is I think that, you know, people, you know, I said this in the very beginning. I, I'm very impressed with the fact that so many people, uh, and, and just my, you know, my own observation, have been so uh, uh, disciplined and, and compliant uh, with uh, the admonishments or, or recommendations of public health officials to keep uh, our, our, our people safe and our families safe. And I think everybody wants that in the end. And, and this issue or debate about vaccines has been there. It's there now. It will always be there. But we should, they should better understand, get away from the politics of, of, of vaccination and just talk about why it is that uh, the vaccines are good as it relates to 
this 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 COVID nineteen because what it will do it'll keep you from getting sicker than you otherwise would be without the vaccine. So if you're if if, if there's less uh, 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 severe illness uh, from the uh, vaccine, hospitals won't fill up. I mean that was the big concern, as you remember, early on in the pandemic, that so many people are getting sick. Uh, and, and, and the numbers are so large that our healthcare infrastructure, both human and and, and physical, uh, are being overwhelmed. And that was a big concern. And that's why you know New York City was hit particularly hard. International city, people coming in from all over the world, in and out of, of New York City. Uh, but a lot of people, uh, depending on the, the healthcare system, and uh, you know you saw. Docs, nurses, technicians, uh, I mean, really, really overwhelmed uh, personally uh, in their Congressman. try to protect everybody. Yeah. Uh, before our time is up, just two quick questions. Have you been vaccinated? And secondly, um, we wanted to ask you about the, uh, the direct federal aid, how it will impact Erie and Niagara counties. We only have about three minutes left. Yeah, I have been vaccinated. Uh, two doses of the, the Pfizer vaccination. Uh, by the attending physician at the United States Capitol. Uh, the, the bill, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's transformational. It's targeted toward uh, uh, lower and middle-income Americans. Uh, most of the economic analysis indicates that we will see 7% economic growth this year. The poverty rate will be cut by a third. Uh, I think that's beneficial to everybody uh, for the good that it does for individuals and for their families. But it's also good for the economy because lower and middle income Americans will spend that money. Uh, for example, the, the un- unemployment uh, insurance uh, that people will receive uh, uh, on top of what the state provides uh, those who are certified uh, to, to receive those those benefits. 87% of that gets spent immediately. And we've talked about this before. We have a $22.5 trillion U.S. economy. After World War II, it was about 55% manufacturing. Now it's 70% consumption. So uh, with, when people have more money in their pockets and they spend it, it, they buy things. When people buy things, people make things. When people make things, people work. And it also uh, will grow the economy. Uh, as I said, the 7% projection is extraordinary. I mean, we have not had economic growth in America uh, that exceeded 3% uh, since 2005. So this growth will be good. Uh, we anticipate that this bill will also uh, help the American economy get back to full employment. Uh, by the final quarter of this year, 2021. And uh, I just think it, 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 there's so many good aspects to it. It's not a perfect bill. None of these bills are ever perfect. You've got 535 members of Congress and a president that has to sign it into law. Everybody doesn't get their own way, and there's going to be a lot of criticism of it. But even some of my Republican colleagues who voted against the bill are now communicating with their constituents uh, extolling the virtues of as certain aspects of the bill, so I think that's indicative of of, of the of the the lawmaking process, the budget making process. Uh, but I do think it will have a very very beneficial impact on the American economy. 
New York 26 Congressman Brian Higgins. As always, Brian, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we appreciate your insights and look forward to hearing how this bill progresses, uh, along with many other things in Congress. Thank you so much. Sounds great. Have a great day. You too. All right. Coming up next, Dr. Nancy Nielsen will join us. She is the past president of the American Medical Association and uh, a member of the Jacobs School of Medicine here in Buffalo. So uh, she knows her stuff. She welcomes your calls, 803-0930. We'll be back right after this break. And welcome back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. To Hardline as we uh, carry on until noon today. We're here every Sunday. And if you miss any of our interviews, they're available on podcast at radio.com or WBEN.com. And it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Nancy Nielsen back to our show. Dr. Nielsen, welcome. Good morning, Brenda. Nice to have you on board, and uh, you wear many hats, and you are at the UB School of Medicine as a dean, and I imagine that uh, COVID may have come up once or twice in your discussions with colleagues and students. Doctor, what's the latest uh, when it comes to the variant? Uh, It seems as if we have crossed the line from, you know, getting a lot of information about COVID-19, the pandemic, what we should do. And now all of a sudden we're hearing about variants. Can you update us on the latest news on that? Sure. The uh, UK variant, uh, the B.117, is the one we're worried about right now. It's uh, very much more transmissible than the original virus. And the real tragedy is that we have learned that it's 64% uh, more lethal So that is the virus that is circulating here. It's estimated that within the next two weeks, it will become the dominant strain in this country. So this, frankly, Brenda, is a race against time. We're trying to get as many people vaccinated before the variant uh, continues to spread. So that's the one we're most worried about. There are others, uh, the one from, uh, from Brazil and from South Africa are of concern, but right now it's the B117, the UK variant that is uh, giving us uh, the most concern. 
What if uh, people have had their vaccinations or at least have had one? Is there any protection against this variant? Yes, it, it appears so. It, it does appear that the vaccines currently in use, the three, uh, do, do a pretty good job of preventing uh, moderate or severe disease. Whether they pr- protect against any infection, meaning could, could, if I had had one shot, for example, could I be infected and not have much in the way of symptoms and spread it to somebody else? We don't know that answer yet. And that's the reason why public health officials are so firm about please continue to wear a mask, even though you've been immunized. Obviously, uh, for those uh, for those products, Pfizer and Moderna, that require two uh, two shots, you're fully immunized two weeks after the second shot. I've talked to uh, many people who have had the shot or at least one of the shots and you feel like, oh, okay, I can finally take a breath here, that there is some protection. And then you hear about these variants that are frightening. Doctor, how do they end up in the U.S.? Is it through travel from other countries? Is that the most common way? Sure, sure. Uh, that's exactly right. We know that this started in the U.K. At least that's the, the first one that we knew about. And it started in somebody who was sick for a long period of time. Uh, with COVID, sick meaning continued to have the virus in, in, I I think it was a man, in his body for about 70 days. And that gave the virus a lot of time to mutate and and adapt. So, yes, it's it's essentially travel. But, you know, a new variant anywhere is going to be a variant everywhere. So that's why it's really important as we try to rush to get our people immunized in this country, that we also have concerns about other countries, because if it's somewhere, it's going to be here. So, Dr. Nielsen, what is the uh, response? So you said, you know, this variant, as we know, it's still the vaccine protects against it. But what happens when there is that variant that might not uh, their vaccines might not respond to. Is there a way they adjust these? Or are they already working to adjust these vaccines? What's the move once a variant is can overpower, if that's even possible, overpower a vaccine? Well, Joe, you raise a really good point, and that's what we've been concerned about from the beginning. So the manufacturers of the vaccines that are currently approved are working madly to uh, adjust to, you know, vaccine 2.0 that would be protective against the new variants. That is not as hard as it sounds because particularly with the messenger RNA viruses, uh, they can re-engineer these. So already, I'm trying to remember if it's, it's either Pfizer or Moderna that has already started a study with a second-generation vaccine. At the same time, both of the, um, those two companies have begun testing in children um, between 12 and 17, and then uh, Moderna has started in kids as children as young as six months old because we really need to protect everybody, even though children by and large, don't get as severe a disease as we know. There all still have been some fatalities. Dr. Nielsen, so we, we get everyone vaccinated before there's a new variant. That, that's not, I'm sorry. I was setting up a question that I already asked. Um, the AstraZeneca is probably the next one to get approval in the United States. But we've heard mixed reviews from overseas. Um, do you think people should be cautious about the AstraZeneca vaccine? 
or do you think if it gets through the pass, the uh, the FDA, that they should take that just like any of the other ones? Well, there are two parts to the question, Joe, and, and it's a really good point. Uh, let's, let's talk about what happened with AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca is – the reason everybody is, is happy about AstraZeneca is not only does it work, it's, uh, it's very inexpensive and it doesn't need any special handling. It's handled like any other vaccine that doctors deliver all the time. So it was approved early in Europe. Uh, many countries, including um, Mexico, Canada, the UK, a lot of Europe, had approved the AstraZeneca vaccine. The problem was that they began to notice that there were people who were developing blood clots, and those blood clots manifested, and there are only a few, by the way, this is really important. So about 17 million people were given those shots, and there have been 15 deep vein thrombosis, those are the clots in the legs, and 22 events of pulmonary emboli, clots in the lung, as of early this month. So the countries got nervous. They paused the use of the vaccine, awaiting evaluation by the European equivalent of the FDA. It's called the European Medicines Agency. Uh, They studied it very carefully and said, this is no more prevalent than the the, uh, prevalence of blood clots in the population that has nothing to do with vaccine. So it, it does not seem to be causative. But the real problem is once you've instilled fear in people, it's hard to undo that, right? And so uh, I, my prediction is that probably AstraZeneca will be approved in the U.S., and whether there'll be hesitance to take it will depend on how much people have been nervous about what happened in Europe. So it, it, is, it is a problem, and that's why we, we really don't want to do any kind of fear-mongering about vaccines at all. Doctor, why do some people have side effects from the vaccine and others feel absolutely nothing? Well, we don't know the answer to that by and large, Brenda, but, but there is one possibility. If somebody had uh, COVID earlier and either had a mild case or maybe didn't even know, and they get the vaccine, they may, you know, what happens is the vaccine, you know, just supercharges our immune system. It doesn't make us sick. It just supercharges our immune response. So they may get a little bit more. But most people will tell you they had virtually nothing except a sore arm with the first dose And a few more than that will have some symptoms the day after their second dose. But it's mild. I mean, I had two doses of Moderna, and I had maybe four hours of, you know, just mild feeling, a little feverish, a couple of chills, went went away totally. Small price to pay. For sure. 803-0930 is our number. Dr. Nancy Nielsen is with us. She is the Senior Associate Dean for Health Policy at the Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. Try to fit that on your business card. <laughs> We're going to go to Tony and Clarence, who has uh, a question for the doctor. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Dr. Nielsen. I'm going to ask, uh, mention, uh, make a statement. COVID will never be eradicated from the United States. Because we can't inoculate the, all the countries in Africa and even in Europe because of fear of vaccination. 
And I, we will continue to have this because variations will develop as time goes by. In fact, 12 states right now are showing that U.K. virus. Germany, about a month ago, reopened everything, decided that it was time to reopen. Get rid of the masks, social distance, throw it out. All this, don't wash your hands anymore. Have a good time. Same as Miami Beach, by the way. And look what's happened. Three weeks later, they had to close. Italy is closed. Why are these things happening? Well, is it worse to close something and then reopen it or just to close it, Dr. Nielsen? And with children, there's a range of 16 to 18. I think these children should be given shots as a priority. And I also think opening up these schools without proper ventilation is going to cause trouble for the elementary school kids because now they're within three feet of each other. Please answer my first question. Tony, you raise about three really good questions. Um, I'm trying to remember the first, your first comment that we're, we're going to, you know, we'll never eradicate this. I I think you're probably right. Uh, I think most infectious disease experts would agree with that. What we have to do, you see, here's what happened. This was a brand new virus and none of us, none of us had any immunity to it at all. So there are many viruses in circulation, uh, in the, in the general population in the U.S like influenza, that come back, that have variants every year, and we live with it. And we get annual flu vaccines, which are, are fairly protective, not as protective as, as the coronavirus vaccine, actually. But you're right. I think we probably, this will probably be in existence in the U.S. from now on. But the, once the majority of people are immunized, we're not going to see the hospitalizations and deaths. We'll see either nothing or milder disease. So that's the first thing. So I agree with you on that. When you go to what happened in Germany and and part of Europe, uh, there's a real problem that we need to talk about. And this uh, this this is where I really need to give appropriate thanks to the Trump administration, which invested a ton of money into research and development and accelerating it, accelerating it, spending a lot of money. Some have said too much, but the point is it really accelerated vaccine delivery and they pre-purchased the the vaccine. That is not what the European Union did. So in the European Union, only 10% of their people have been vaccinated. Here, we're double that, more than double. 23% have had one shot. In the UK, they've been really aggressive, and 39% of their people have had one shot. So what, what the European Union did is, is they were late. They, they, they were much more price conscious than we were. They were shopping for the best price, so they're behind, and, and they know it. We, we've talked about that um, in, in other venues, and, and they acknowledge it. Uh, going to schools, I, I think, you know, this, this new instruction from the CDC about three feet is, is welcome news. I, this CDC, I trust. I don't think this is political at all. Uh, I don't know the story about ventilation. That is not my, my field. I think your point about getting um, the teenagers vaccinated is an important one. 
as you undoubtedly know, the Pfizer vaccine is approved for kids as young as 16, the other two, uh, 18. So you're, you're right. But we know that junior high and high school kids in general uh, can spread the virus about at the same rate as adults. So we need the studies, which are ongoing right now, uh, on the kids. And, and once the vaccine is approved for them, we need to get them immunized. And that'll make our schools safer. We've got about two minutes left, Dr. Nielsen. Excuse me for interrupting. Uh, Let's take a call from John in Rochester. John, quickly for Dr. Nielsen. Hey, hey, doctor. Uh, Question. I'm concerned with this new variant. Uh, Would you favor lockdowns like they were before uh, in New York State? Uh, The the reason is Florida, which didn't lock down as much, uh, New York has a death rate current death rate of 50 to 60 percent higher than Florida, and Sweden, which didn't lock down hardly at all, has a death rate even lower than Florida. Would you be in favor of, uh, if this variant takes off, of going to the previous uh, methods of lockdowns in uh, New York State? Well, let's talk about Florida. I I mean, if you've seen the news in the last uh, 12 hours, you see that Miami Beach has uh, is horrified by the spring break kids on the beaches, thousands of them, and they've just imposed an 8 p.m. curfew. Uh, last night it was uh, widely ignored, uh, but they're very concerned. So this, is, this has not been a walk in the park in Florida by any means. I think the answer is the race against time getting people immunized as fast as shots can be distributed to Western New York. We are getting them in arms, and and that's really the urgency. So I think that's what's going to prevent the lockdowns. We have seen a rise in the New York City metropolitan area, uh, but but not so much here, not so much here. So uh, I'm hopeful that we won't go back into – full lockdown because, you know, that's that's so hard on everybody. 30 seconds, Doc, your opinion about Sweden. About what? Sweden. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Sweet, about, uh, what, what Sweden happened not- in Sweden? Oh, okay. That's a complicated. That's a complicated situation. Uh, Dr. Fauci has talked talked often about Sweden. He has studied it. It is not a country you want to emulate uh, because they've had problems, even though they were they were pretty wide open. There's no right answer to this. But let's let's focus on what we absolutely know. We know that. People can transmit this disease who have no symptoms. We know that masks work. So let's be safe and let's get everybody immunized. Dr. Nancy Nielsen, Senior Associate Dean at the Jacobs School of Medicine. Thank you so much, doctor, for your time. Thank you, Brenda. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk uh, with Superintendent Mark Laurie from the, uh, from the Niagara Falls District, Joe, in the next hour, along with two council members from the city of Buffalo, Ulysses Wingo and Rashid Wyatt. Much more to come on Hardline here on W.